0: Everyone, welcome into the Ten Sports Podcast Tennessee Football Season in Review edition. I am Luis Fernandez. This is Patrick Murray. Patrick, say hi to everyone. Hey, everybody. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hey, all right. So let's um let's go ahead. Obviously, this is not you know a Sunday morning slash Saturday evening. Uh, we're doing this in the middle of the week because we wanted to do a little bit something extra. Uh, kind of get, look at the season as a whole, kind of t- take some uh, takeaways from it now that we know Tennessee won't be in a bowl game, uh, now that we're starting to turn our attention to the early signing period. So let's just go ahead and get into it. 2018 as a whole. All right, If we're going to go to the, the Butch Jones way of saying things, Team 123? 122?
1: I don't know. Uh, I can't remember. It I, lost, I lost track. It I stopped matter. thinking about it. It doesn't matter.
0: Um, so, Pat, when you look at this team... What were your overall thoughts? Do you think this team, uh, how, what do you look at this team? Did they meet expectations? Did they play
1: below them? Did they go above expectations? What do you think? I would say that overall, throughout the whole course of the season, all put together, I'd say they met expectations. Um, they finished 5-7. and seven. I think um, that was kind of what most people around the country thought about what what tennessee would be i know a lot of people here in knoxville were hoping for the six and six and for the bowl game i think if they had gotten to the bowl game that would maybe maybe been slightly exceeding expectations um they did get uh you know the two wins over ranked opponents that they can kind of hang their hat on uh beating kentucky which sounds strange um (laughs) but (laughs) beating a ranked kentucky team beating a ranked auburn team on the road you can kind of hang your hat on those wins there were obviously some other games you'd like to have back South Carolina, Vanderbilt, some others where maybe you didn't play as well as, as you could have. Um, so there were some ups and downs, but um, I think, you know, there, there was improvement mm. over the 2017 season. And I think overall, I'd say expectations were met. And I think
0: that's part of it, too. Remember, we're comparing to 2017. So just about it being the worst season in program history, anything is better. Um, but I, I would agree. I think kind of meeting expectations... Um, Uh, You know, I think my uh, end of season predictions had them finishing six and six, so a little bit less than what was expected. But I believe most like national uh, media folks were thinking like a four and eight type season, so Mm -hmm. uh, playing a little bit better. Uh, The way I've always described it, or I have been describing it for the past week, is the highs were higher, but it was more of a roller coaster. so, you know, the the one loss I think that they really are going to just you know be upset and want back is going to be the South Carolina one. Because that's, that's a game you should have won, dominated in the first half, uh, just the defense playing poorly, and then the offense kind of shutting down there in the fourth quarter. Uh, but when, when you look at this team and compare it to last year, uh, point differential. Uh, in 2017, uh, Tennessee was outscored throughout the course of the season by 111 points. This year, they were outscored by 62 points. So... It's it's baby steps. Obviously, it's still not what you want, but it, it is baby steps towards uh, a future with the team. Um, so I'd say meeting expectations. The one thing that I did not like as much that I would have preferred Tennessee to be doing toward the end of the year was my thought was you, you, as Jeremy Pruitt, as I said, coaching staff comes in, you kind of establish that culture, you get everything set up, and then you just start playing fundamental, you know sound football, and you get beat by the teams that just have a better team than you where their guys are more developed and I think towards the end of the year in those last two games we kind of saw that fall apart a little bit where they were not playing as fundamentally sound as as Jeremy Pruitt and the Tennessee coaching staff would have liked so it's it's positive but I, you know the the foundation is not as strong as I would have liked it to be after one year.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. The last two games certainly were not the way you wanted to end the season, especially that Vanderbilt game. I mean, I think Missouri's a better football team than most people think a better team than their record indicates. Uh but still getting blown out the way you did by 33 points, not what you want, and then the way they played at Vanderbilt with like you said lacking in some fundamentals with missed tackles and and things like that. Um not the way you wanted to end the season, but I think Kyle Phillips kind of summed it up in the post game press conference after Vanderbilt, and he said, um, "You know, we've been inconsistent, and when you have, when not everyone has bought in." That's when you get inconsistent play mm-hmm. when they when you know only certain guys that are on the field have bought in. Um, so I think that kind of plays into it, and we'll see that sort of play out here throughout the off season and weeding some of those guys out that haven't bought in. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast.
0: Exactly. And one thing too, really quick before we move on. Um, when it comes to trying to rebuild a program and get it back to where it was in the past, um, the scheduling has a lot to do with it. And right now, where the college football playoff rankings stand, Tennessee, half of Tennessee's opponents are in the top 25 in the college football rankings. Like That's crazy. That's, that's really difficult, you know? Um, you have uh, Bama, uh, Missouri, Georgia, um, uh, West Virginia, um, who else, let's see, uh, Florida, Florida, and then there's one more... Kentucky, Kentucky, yes. There you go. So that's that's half their team, you know. That's, that's half their schedule, and that's that is going to make it a lot more challenging to have the the win totals be in your favor when it comes to rebuilding. That's why I wanted to see more fundamentals and like and things that add up to success in the future, but not necessarily wins in the present. So, um, but sticking with the twenty eighteen football season, uh, Patrick, what what would you say the strength of this team? Was this year? What is one thing that you highlight as the the biggest positive to take away?
1: Uh, I've got a couple for you. And first of all, we're going to give a shout out to the punt team. They the punt team was a strength. Um, set a school record. Joe the Toe. Joe the Toe Doyle punting it. Uh, Jesse Medford snapping it. Shout out! Shout out to those guys. The senior right there. Um, only two yards per punt return. Tennessee allowed eighteen punt return yards the entire season. Two yards per punt return. That is a new school record, and they did not give up a single return of more than twenty yards.
0: Like Joe Joe didn't necessarily kick every his punt was not always going like you know sixty seventy yards downfield, but he always seemed to do a good job of using field position to his advantage. Right, he, he was going to make sure that you know this this punt may not go you know this may not be a coffin corner, but you are not going to get a chance to make a play.
1: Yeah, he wasn't he didn't he wasn't up there in terms of uh, punt average. Um, but I think he did what was asked of him, and that was, hey, we don't want we don't want returns. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't want the other team to be able to make a big play out of this. And we've seen in past years where Tennessee has been hurt in in the punt return game, giving up big plays, particularly playing Florida or Alabama or teams like that.
0: Tennessee continues
1: to be a punter. You, absolutely, it really does. I, I believe they have five starting punters in the NFL now. It's so maybe, maybe Joe Doyle can make it six in a few years. He's only uh was he retro, retro freshman. freshman. Yeah. yeah, he's only retro freshman, so he's still got a few years. So punt team, definitely a strength. And then the other strength I thought was um explosive plays in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Downfield passing. Tennessee had twenty-three plays of thirty or more yards in the passing game in twenty eighteen. That was twenty-fourth in the nation. And now if you compare that to last year, to 2017, they had 12 of those plays, which was 107th in the nation, so they almost doubled the amount of 30-plus yard passing plays. So I think that was great to see them really improve in that aspect.
0: And I think what's impressive about that, too, is Tennessee was not throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, they uh, Jared Garantano was second to last among starting quarterbacks in terms of pass attempts in the SEC, so like... You know, they were taking advantage of every opportunity they they had. Were they throwing the ball the best throughout the entire year? No, but like that that deep ball was definitely something that was working out well for them. Whether it be uh, Juwan Jennings, uh, Marquez Callaway, or Josh Palmer, who also played really well in his sophomore season, and all of those guys are coming back exactly. Which kind of brings it to my strength here. Uh, mine's a little bit more vague, a little more broad. I'm going to go with the underclassmen that that is my strength from this season and I'll tell you why Uh, essentially when you look at all the players who were underclassmen because these are the guys what Tennessee's program is going to be building moving forward these these are the players that are going to be the foundation of Tennessee under Jeremy Pruitt you know in his first few years here And when you look, then got like Alante Taylor, Bryce Thompson, Dominic Wood Anderson, uh, Jeremy Banks, Jameer Johnson, Trayvon Flowers, who we all forget about because he broke his collarbone, but was having a great start to the season. Uh, Will Ignant, J.J. Peterson got a red shirt. That's going to be huge for his development moving forward. Uh, Joe Doyle, Josh Palmer, Ty Chandler, Jarrett Garantano, like uh, uh, and Brent Samaglia. So like almost the entire special teams essentially. Joe Doyle, exactly. So you you have a lot of really good. Uh, players who were making significant contributions as underclassmen this year. And I think that's important for them moving forward as long as they can continue to develop. That's what we saw under Butch Jones. You had talented guys, but they didn't develop over time. So if if all of these guys um, can take another step in their progression as football players, uh, Tennessee has a very good core of, of young guys returning to this team that could really help you know, continue to to build uh, on the foundation that was established with this year,
1: and this will be an important off season. Um, Jeremy Pruitt mentioned it in his post game press conference after the Vanderbilt game that he thinks when you put a new staff together, year in between year one and year two is where you see the biggest improvement. And I think uh, that proves true in the SEC. I mean, Cur- you look at Kirby mm-hmm. Smart in Georgia. Last year was year two. He had them in the national championship game. Um, Jim McElwain, when he was in Florida, year two, he had them in the SEC title game. Uh, I think Nick Saban in his second year had them at least in the SEC championship game, if not the national championship game. Um, so I think this is a very important offseason, and that's where you can see a lot of the growth is from year one to year two. I
0: mean, even if you just... I mean, it's, it's something that Jeremy Pruitt would say all the time, um, you know, in, during the, the fall, early on in the season, there were a lot of guys on this team that didn't have a spring, that, that did not uh, get a chance to practice as much as I'm sure they would have liked, who were dealing with some injuries and things like that. Um, so having a full off season will be important for them, but also just the strength and conditioning aspect of it, like getting these guys in the weight room and, and getting them, you know, making them big bodies, you know, to, to compete in the SEC, uh, adding, adding weight, adding muscle, um, adding, just making them tougher essentially so that you know they can, uh, when they're getting in these, you know, these, these close contests with SEC teams in the future, you know, when it's, a uh, uh, you know, a, well, a single digit game against Georgia in the fourth quarter, where instead of losing by 26 points, you end up keeping it competitive and pushing and trying to get like an upset on the road or something like that. So I think that that will be 100% important. Um, but now we had strength. So let's turn to weaknesses, Patrick. And we have the same weakness. I think all you listeners can probably guess. What the weakness is, Patrick? Go, go ahead and tell the people.
1: Yeah, I think it's the obvious one: the offensive line. Um, have to go with it for uh, the weakness. Tennessee had. Um, let me let me find my stat here. They had ninety-two negative plays on offense this year. Ninety-two Jeez. negative plays. That was the the mm-hmm. most in the SEC and the fifth most among Power Five teams. Uh, we know Jarek Garantano had to leave, uh, leave the game several times. Um, I believe it was three games this year. Mm-hmm. He, had to, he had to leave the game uh, due to injury, due to taking a, taking a shot. Um, so he had to display his toughness this year. Um, so I, I'm going with the offensive line for, for weakness.
0: Yeah, and I think it, it's, it's tough because this offensive line unit is very young. Um, I actually I don't believe a single offensive lineman leaves this year. No, no, no one graduates or anything like that. You get Brandon Kennedy back, um, but yeah, you know, th- this this offensive line was very young. So you had that um, when you look at the film. Uh, you know the Tyson Helton offense. It, it required the offensive line to do a lot. Uh, so I think that also made things a little bit more difficult. A lot of pulling, a lot of trying to get to the next level type stuff, and and that set. Um, them up not in the best position where you know when they were already struggling from like a talent deficiency and a size deficiency that made it a little bit more difficult. That's you know and, and with a lot of the Jared Garantano sacks too. Sometimes that's not necessarily on the offensive line. That's you know, on Dominic Wood Anderson, a tight end, uh, Eli Wolf, uh, some of the running backs, not pass blocking as uh, as well. Um, but there were definitely, the, the negative yards, more than the sacks, more than any of the hits on Jared Garantano, the negative yards plays, that, that is what really stands out to me. Um, you, you cannot be moving the ball backward and expect to score points. That's not how it works. Um, so, you know, that's, that's definitely something they'll have to fix moving forward. And you hope with a young group like this that can have now another offseason to develop, you, you're hoping they can kind of take that next step. But they also have some really important guys coming in uh, in, 20, in the twenty nineteen class, uh, that can help him out. We'll get to that in a second.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the interesting thing too is when you look at the numbers, you know, relative some other team to some other teams, at least in terms of the pass protection. Um, It wasn't quite as bad as I think maybe we perceive it to be. You know, it seemed like Garantano had someone in his face on every play. Like, he was on the ground on every play. Like, you know, they couldn't get anything done because of the pressure. Uh, But when you go ahead and look at the numbers, Tennessee gave up 23 sacks this season. That was tied for seventh in the SEC. So right in the middle of the pack in the SEC. And then even if you say, okay, well, Tennessee didn't throw the ball as much. They didn't have as many pass attempts as some of the other teams. So maybe, um, you know, that's why they gave up fewer sacks. Well, I went back and looked, you know, and did it in terms of pass attempts per sack. Um, So, you know, how many, how many, pass attempts did you go between each sack, and um, the Vols were at 12.9 there, and that once again was, uh, was the sixth most in the SEC, so that's r- once again right in the middle of the pack in the SEC in terms of the number of sacks allowed, and Lewis, I think you had another stat uh, related to that as well. When you
0: look at the, the quarterback pressure rate overall, um, Tennessee was once again in the middle of the pack. Um Georgia had the fewest amount of quarterback pressures in the ICC at 21% of dropbacks. Tennessee had 30. Uh, all the teams that had worst or had worst quarterback pressure rates allowed, uh, Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Arkansas had a quarterback pressure rate allowed of 41%. Ooh. 41% of dropbacks. Like you want to talk about the worst team in the ICC, my goodness. So you know, so it's it's tricky. Um, there there are a lot of things that go into that offensive line play, and that go into the the yards, uh, the the negative yards, and things like that from the offensive line. But it, ultimately, if they play better and execute better, all of that gets fixed.
1: And and kind of, I think it goes to the old uh, coach saying that uh, you know, after a game, it's it's never as good as you thought it was, and it's never as bad as you thought it was. When you go back and watch the film. Um, So I don't think it's maybe as far of a climb to get the offensive line better and develop them and get some improvement in there and to play better than maybe we think. Um, So,
0: speaking of offense,
1: um, as of now, let's see, it is
0: 8.46 p.m. on Thursday, November 29th. As of now, Tennessee still does not have an offensive coordinator, but It's obviously the the big talk of the town. Everyone wants to know what's going to happen. What's the situation? Um, So, really quick, let's just go over some of the the candidates. Uh, that that have come up, names that have come up. The the number one big one that everyone's talking about is Hugh Freeze, the former Ole Miss coach, uh, and, and everything that he did. Um, in 2015, uh, Dur- when he was, you know, that was, his, was that his last season with the Rebels? No, it was second to last. It was 2016 was his last season. Okay, so it was second to last season. Um, Ole Miss led the SEC in um, total offense and in scoring, and he also has consistently been one of the few coaches that can beat Alabama. So I think that's that's something that a lot of Tennessee fans are interested in. Uh, the spread, obviously, there are some actual concerns when it comes to things like you know uh, his his off the field uh, issues. Uh, we'll put it that way, um, and also NCAA problems that he got into when he was there. So so that's that's tough. Um, but a lot of Tennessee fans seem to be interested. There were a few reports today that. Um, Jeremy Pruitt met with him to talk football, uh, and also the possibility of that offensive coordinator uh, position with him, so uh, he, he is definitely a name that people want to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, and you know, my initial thought when, you know, when Tyson Helton went to Western Kentucky um, was, my initial thought was, oh, I think it's going to end up being Will Friend. Um, you know, current offensive line coach at Tennessee, um, really close with, Jeremy Pruitt. They were roommates in college. Uh, he was a great offensive coordinator at Colorado State. Had a top 10 offense there. Um, and I think he would kind of fit uh, Pruitt's sort of philosophy of being the smash mouth. We can run it whenever, you know, we need to be able to run it whenever we want to. When, when everyone in the stadium knows we're going to run it. Um, so that was my initial thought. But now I kind of think, you know, there's a, there's been a lot of smoke it seems around, um, you know, some outside candidates like Chip Lindsey at Auburn um, who, if he if he um, is retained by Auburn beyond Saturday, he's owed a hundred thousand uh, dollars, as was reported by Twenty Four Seven Sports. Um, so that's interesting to see there. Um, he has the the similar high school coaching background that, that Pruitt had. He coached at Hoover High School, yeah. uh, not at the same time as Pruitt, but same place where he coached. Um, so he was a name, and then um, well, Freddie Freddie Kitchens, Freddie, Freddie Kitchens yeah. uh, with the Browns. Who
0: you know, well, you know, what's interesting about Freddie Kitchens? He this so you you look at his career and he's like been a, a assistant coach a lot of different places, um, high school coming up through college, or I'm sorry, going to the NFL and all that stuff. But this is technically his first time as an offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be an interesting decision. To make him the OC,
1: yeah, and he, he hasn't even been—you know—he was just elevated to offensive coordinator, you know, three yeah. games ago or whatever it was, and he's done really well I, with I can't, Baker as a, Mayfield.
0: As a bank, as a Bengals fan, I can't attest that offense uh, does beat people up, uh, but that doesn't really mean much anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I think Baker Mayfield has nine touchdown passes and one interception since mm. Kitchens took over as offensive coordinator. And Kitchens is is another guy who was roommates with Jeremy Pruitt in college at one time. He played quarterback at Alabama when Pruitt was there playing defensive. Back.
0: If if uh, Jerry, if you are a, a coach of any way, shape, or form, I just at this point I assume that you were roommates with Jeremy Pruitt <laughs> at some point. Um,
1: it is funny how the coaching world is a very small world. It's so
0: small. It is so tight knit. Um, a couple other candidates, too. Uh, Brian McClendon from uh, South Carolina. It's a name that was kind of floated around a little bit. Someone that, um, you know, almost was the offensive coordinator for for Tennessee last year in Pruitt's first year. They have a really close relationship. Uh, we talked a bit about that that internal hire. Will Friend, uh, Chris Wankie, is another one who, who could be that internal hire to kind of be promoted uh, and move forward. Um, you also have uh, another name that I think has really started to pick up some traction, too, is Eli Drinkowitz um, from NC State. Uh, I, I think that that is it. What, what, what do you think about that? Because I know I feel like there's a lot of uh, ACC uh, bias in the SEC. A lot of people don't don't respect uh, the, the ACC and the SEC.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of Tennessee fans were not excited to hear that name. Um, they were kind of like, oh, fourth in the ACC and total offense, what? Yeah. Um, But, uh, I don't know, you know, right now, North Carolina State uh, scoring 33.5 points per game this year, 35th in the country, but their passing game is in the top 10, ninth in the country, over 300 yards per game. Good quarterback in Ryan Finley, a really good offensive line this year. Um, I think he's an intriguing candidate. He, um, you know, you always go back, my thing is I want to always go back and look at, okay, who did this guy coach under? Who does? Who did he learn from? What you know? What sort of beliefs does he have? So to me, Drinkwitz is a Malzahn guy. Yeah. He's a Gus Malzahn guy. He um, was a quality control guy for that 2010 national championship team when Auburn had uh, Cam Newton. When Malzahn was the offensive coordinator, um, he coached with Malzahn at um, Arkansas State. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an offensive coordinator at Boise State, where they scored almost 40 points per game mm-hmm. um, when he was the year he was the offensive coordinator. Um, so I think he kind of. Of provides provides the balance. I think you've got to be balanced. Um, you know, he's got the run game stuff from Malzon. He's got the quarterback run game stuff from him. Um, they threw it a lot at Boise State with Brett Ripon, and um, so they did that well. And another guy that has the high school coaching background that Pruitt likes. He was at uh, Springdale, Arkansas, where Malzon was a head coach at one time.
0: Well, and and also um, when you when you look at him too, like a, a lot of people I I've, I've heard talk about like. Oh, NC State barely ran the ball this year. What's going on with that? Well, number one, like as someone who you know grew up in the North Carolina area, the one thing NC State does really well is turn out um, NFL quarterbacks that are kind of that are on the fringe of starting. Um, and Ryan Finley, he's probably going to be one of those guys who makes it at the next level. Um, so you have that, but also in back-to-back years, the first two years he was OC there, you had back-to-back 1,000 yard rushers for NC State. So there is an opportunity to run the ball with him as the offensive coordinator. He is not just a pass-first kind of guy. But uh, and, and speaking of the high school thing, too, I think, was it uh, Josh Niblett, the uh, mm-hmm. the current uh, high school coach at, at Josh Hoover? Josh
1: Niblett and Rush Probst. There you go. All right, so <laughs> I,
0: I don't know how Tennessee fans would react if a uh, high school coach were to become
1: the uh, OC. I don't think they would like that too much. And one more to throw out there that I don't think we mentioned. Brandon Streeter, yes. uh, the Clemson quarterback's coach, was one name. Um, that some people were throwing out there, I think that would be interesting. Um, he's he's been there since 2014, so he's coached Deshaun Watson, Kelly Bryant, um, now Trevor Lawrence, and they've had explosive offenses there at Clemson for a few years. Um, so that I think that's uh, an interesting name too.
0: Yeah, and I think what's what's e- either way, regardless of of what ends up happening, the way I look at it is like. You know, you think Jer- the way kind of Jeremy Pruitt's been handling a lot of this, the way he's spoken about like his coaching staff and all that in the past, he very much seems to want an offense that matches his play style. Like something that the, the more conservative, the ground and pound, be physical type of, of play style that he loves, that he preaches, that he's always been around. Mm-hmm. Right. But I just I really think it's important to separate the offense from the defense here a little bit. Like you do just want the best available. And if the best available guy spreads the field out and throws the ball around like crazy, um, then that's who you want. Like, I mean, even in Alabama, like, who they, for the longest time, were all ground and pound all the time and, and all of that, and the quarterback is just, uh, you know, a, a game manager. Now they have elevated their game, and they're one of the best offenses almost ever, especially in the country. Like, they they score points like crazy. Like, two of them low is fantastic.
1: And they have the top one or two passing offenses in the country, which is not something you'd expect to see from Alabama.
0: So, you know, I think it's important to uh, – Embrace what college football is now, and you need to be able to throw the ball around to win at the biggest stage in college football. You know, uh, and if you don't have that fantastic, uh, that play calling, the 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 formations, the quarterback play, the explosive plays, you're not going to be successful at the level that Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee wants to be. So, I, I hope I hope it's a big splash hire. I really do. I think it'd be really cool if if this is something that got everyone excited for. Um, you know, the next season for Tennessee.
1: Yeah, that would be fun. We will see what direction Pruitt goes. So,
0: speaking of the next season for Tennessee, let's start to turn the page now to uh, the early signing period and what this team looks like moving forward. Uh, Last night, uh, Wednesday night, we had Will McBride announce that he was transferring from Tennessee. He is the first player to do that um, so far this offseason. And when you look at this roster and when you look at what is happening, you got to assume that there are going to be more transfers because you look at it, and you so when you take Will McBride and then you take the seniors, you've got 14 players who have left this Tennessee football team so far. Right now, for the class of 2019, there are 22 players committed. So you're looking at a surplus already where you, you have, what is that, um, eight more players than, like, you, you have plus eight instead mm-hmm. of you're not really losing many.
1: And Pruitt would like to take... T- the full 25 in this class, exactly. so that, that would be three more that you have to account for.
0: So you're, you're looking at a surplus here. So you have to assume that other uh, teams or the other players are going to be transferring. Um, and I think that's that's kind of expected after a first year under a new head coach. Like, you know, they're going to give them a chance. But if, if a player is able to determine that they will not be as successful as they want in that system, then it's time to move. And that's what happened with Will McBride. So what what do you think what should we be looking at here when when we look at the future of this roster in Tennessee football?
1: Uh, first of all, I think it was a little unusual the how few transfers there were last off season. Yeah. Usually, when a new head coach comes in. You get a lot of guys that say, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to play for this guy or, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get my chance here. I'm going to go somewhere else. And I believe Tennessee only had three transfers, Mm -hmm. which I think is unusually low for having a new head coach come in. And, you know, we talked about it earlier, um, Kyle Phillips mentioning you know when you have when not everyone has bought in that's when you get inconsistent play so you have some guys that perhaps haven't bought in and i think they're probably going to say you know i don't want to play play for this staff or this guy i'm just going to go elsewhere or maybe you have where pruitt and the coaching staff says look you're you know, you're not going to play you're not going to see the field much here, um, you know. Not with the, the way you've been playing or anything like that. Maybe you ought to look elsewhere. Um, so I think we certainly see around 12 to 15 guys end up looking elsewhere sometime this off season.
0: Well, you you almost like you have to remember with Jeremy Pruitt and like this coaching staff coming in, they needed the bodies right. for this first year. And now that they've had the time to really get to know this roster, now they're going to start making it their own. And there, I mean, they are just like when it comes to just like natural like tendencies and preferences, like there are going to be guys that Butch Jones recruited that Jeremy Pruitt probably has no, like wants nothing to do with. Like those are not the type of players that he's looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't have to that doesn't have anything to do with their personality or whatever it might be. It just might be what they do on the field. Um, you know, uh, you know, Butch, I feel like on defense was trying to get a lot of those kind of tweener type guys, maybe smaller who can do more things. And Jeremy Pruitt, he likes that ground and pound SEC style, so he, he wants, wants more to bring of those in big the big bodies. boys exactly. So when you look at different, the different position groups on this team, um, a couple to, to keep in mind, I think, where you could see some of these transfers happening. The offensive line. Uh, you have 20 offensive linemen on this roster.
1: Not a single one is leaving. And you're already bringing in four in the, in the signing class that you have committed right now, and they're trying to get more. Exactly. And that's including
0: five-star Wanya Morris. So these are guys who... Wanya Morris is someone who could come in and probably fill a hole immediately. Um, so you look at that group and you say well maybe with especially with so many of them being so young so many of them being sophomores being freshmen maybe that's where you see some of those transfers starting to happen i think that's a good place as place as any to to look and see um when you look at some of the other spots on this roster too there are a lot of wide receivers um i think that could be an interesting one like you know uh, tyler birds always someone who um, you know, I, I feel like he, it, he he's always, like, switching positions and all that stuff. Maybe it's, he decides it's time to go. That's, that's Butch's pure speculation, though.
1: Um, and I think that position specifically plays into what you were talking about with maybe there's some guys where, hey, here's what Butch Jones liked in that area, and here's what Jeremy Pruitt likes. And, you know, maybe Butch wanted a few of those small, speedy, slot-type guys that their thing is speed and nothing else, and Pruitt's like, well, I, can you block? You you know can you can you block for me? That's what I need.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, you know that that would be something interesting to see moving forward as well. Um, the linebacker position, I think that's also interesting. Obviously, this includes those outside linebacker types, but there are 18 on the roster. The only one leaving is Jonathan Kongbo. So you know that that there is there's a lot of um, so with 17 on the roster, um, especially some some of these guys where there's so much depth with them, too. Um, you know, Cortez Sapp is a very talented linebacker, and he was not seeing, seeing the field nearly as much as you would expect, just because uh, they already have Darren Kirkland Jr.
1: and Daniel Petuli there to shore up the inside. And then next year, you're going to have J.J. Peterson certainly in the mix for playing time at those inside linebacker spots. Exactly. So, uh, and you have Daryl Taylor on the outside who got, what was it, eight sacks this yep. year? So,
0: you know, there's the, the starting linebacker core is solidified. It is very, like, you, you have a very good idea who those people are going to be. At least with the offensive line, you, you figure that it could be anyone. Um, with the kind of, with the way they play, you could see them mixing it up in, in entirely. But I, I think the linebacker court could be another spot to look. Um, the defensive line is really interesting because they have so many people leaving. You have six uh, defensive linemen leaving. There is only one upperclassman defensive lineman that will still be on the roster next year. And it's Emmett Gooden who
1: oh, man. transferred. Juco transfer.
0: Exactly. So so you do not have a lot of experience there on that defensive line. They they are bringing uh, a bunch of guys in. Uh, six defensive linemen are coming in. Um,
1: so and, and they do have at least two Juco guys uh, among those. Um, Darrell Middleton. Darrell um, Middleton. T. Higgins, former teammate at Oak Ridge, mm-hmm. he went to Juco. Now he's going to come back to Tennessee, Six foot seven, 290. Mm-hmm. And then they, I believe, Savion Williams, a 300-plus pounder, they have at least three 300-plus pound defensive linemen yep. coming in. So they they do lose. That, that was their one area where they had seniors. There weren't many seniors on this team, but the one area where they had seniors that actually played was on the defensive line. So that, that hurts to lose those guys, but... They're working on it in recruiting. They've got a bunch coming in, and I think they're working on a couple more.
0: Kyle Phillips, Shy Tuttle, Paul Bain, Alexis Johnson—like, it's it's a lot of guys that they're losing. That you know that that hurts, and so that that will be a group that I think you're not going to see a lot of transfer type stuff. Um, uh, defensive backs, I think, are also interesting too. There's 16 of them. Uh, they have four defensive backs coming in, and that group in particular is one where the young guys have already taken over the field mm-hmm. with Bryce Thompson and Alante Taylor. Uh, Trayvon Flowers, when he comes back, boom, there you go. Three of the four uh, starting defensive back spots, now looking at the nickel, are going to be occupied by true sophomores. So, you know, you've got a lot of older guys in there, too, trying to rotate in. Uh, Baylon Buchanan, uh, Sean Schamberger. Like, so what what happens with a lot of those guys moving forward. I think that could be another interesting spot. And then you at. even
1: ha- have some highly rated um, guys coming in. Jalen McCullough mm-hmm. at safety, a four-star. Uh, they have a four-star corner coming in as well as a freshman. So there's going to be a, a lot more competition there at, at the defensive back spots.
0: Yeah. Um, and so we got that. Looking at that. Let's see. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about, Pat, here? I was just like, oh, cool, I guess. Oh, just recruiting here really quick um uh, earlier today on thursday uh they tennessee picked up a huge get um uh, four-star almost five-star quarterback uh harrison bailey huge huge get for for tennessee uh four-star guy the number three uh, pro-style quarterback in the country that's that's huge for them um and he'll, he's the class of 2020 so there's a lot that that tennessee is looking at from that perspective
1: And he has a a teammate. uh, He's from Marietta, Georgia. He has a teammate there at Marietta, Ramel Keaton, a wide receiver who is committed to Tennessee in the class of 2019. And one thing that I thought was interesting that I saw from one of the 24-7 sports national analysts was he said um, Harrison Bailey, he plays on one of the best seven-on-seven teams in the country in the offseason, and he is really well-liked by a lot of the other players, a lot of the other top prospects in the country. Really like him, really like playing with him. And so that could be interesting for Tennessee and that maybe he becomes one of their big recruiters Mm -hmm. and bringing other guys in. And he said that he told Ryan Callahan, who we partner with at GoVols247.com, he told him on Thursday after he committed that, I, I'm coming here to win championships, and I like to build things. I like to build stuff up around me. I like that responsibility. I want to bring people in. So I think this is big for Tennessee, not just from the, hey, we've got a four-star quarterback ass aspect but what he can do to help build the team around him as well
0: uh, you know jeremy pruitt and the staff to number to get him without an offensive coordinator i also think is the big yeah
1: thing. i think that is huge i think that says a lot about pruitt and what they're doing to not have a quarterbacks coach and an offensive coordinator and have a four-star quarterback commit to you
0: and, and you know when, when you look at what they're building with quarterbacks in general too last year you had jt shroud uh this year coming up you have uh how, how do you say his last name? Maurer? Maurer. Maurer. Brian, Maurer. Maurer Brian Maurer from okay. Ocala, Florida. There you go. And then and then now you have Harrison Daly. So they have a young group of quarterbacks um, that that could be the future of Tennessee football. And when you look at, even even in the struggles, the up-and-down play of Tennessee football over the past few years, one thing they seem to consistently have is a good quarterback, a talented quarterback. You know, the, the Tyler Brays, uh, the Josh Dobbs of the world. So, you know, that, I think that'll be really interesting to, to see... I, if I were a Tennessee fan, I would be very excited about what he can bring to uh, the future of Tennessee football.
1: Yeah, and I think this is going to be an exciting recruiting season. Um, finishing up down the stretch here, uh, December nineteenth is the early, the beginning, weeks. the beginning of the early signing period. So just a few more weeks. Um, Tennessee right now ranks fifteenth in the country, sixth in the SEC, in the twenty four seven Sports composite in terms of uh, the recruiting rankings. And they're still working. They're they're still doing some work. Um, They've got uh, Darnell Wright, a five-star offensive tackle out of West Virginia that they are after, and they're in the mix for him. Mm -hmm. Um, He, I believe he may not make his decision until later, January, February, something like that. But they're in on him, and there's a few other four- and five-star type guys, some that are committed to other schools Mm -hmm. that Tennessee's in on and that they're still considering Tennessee. So I think this will be a really interesting close to the recruiting season here, and we'll see if Tennessee can try and finish with a top-ten class. Because right
0: now I think Tennessee has one five-star and one four-star in this 2019 class, I want to say is what it is. They've
1: got one five-star. I think they've got at least a few four-stars, three or four.
0: So, uh, But what, what you're looking at is when you remember last year uh, for the early signing period, there were a couple of guys that Tennessee grabbed onto at the very end that people were not expecting. Like uh, Jerome Carvin, I think is one. Um, J- J.T. Shrout, towards the last couple of weeks there, kind of latched on. Dominic Wood-Anderson. Dominic Wood-Anderson, mm-hmm. exactly. Those Juco guys, especially. So you had, you had people that, that Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt, this coaching staff, were able to get commitments from and get signed at the very last second. So I think, um, you know, maybe we see that again this year where there are some last-second pushes that we're already starting to notice with a lot of those four- and five-star guys that you, that you mentioned. So I think that'll be really important, something to keep an eye out for Tennessee. Going from, what was last year's class, 20, 19?
1: Uh, I, I want to say like 17-ish, around there. It I was, can't, can't remember.
0: As of right now, it is an improvement from mm-hmm. um, what it was last year. So you can keep on building on that. See where things go from there, and and kind of a set up that that class and that program that that Jeremy Pruitt wants.
1: And I think the really good thing about this class is we just mentioned it a little bit, is the trenches, mm-hmm. uh, being able to shore up the offensive line and the defensive line, which you know, we all know is super important in the SEC. We all know Jeremy Pruitt wants to beef up at both of those spots. So I think they've got four guys are already committed on the offensive line, um, including uh, the number one offensive tackle in the country in Wani Morris, and you've got um, Jackson Lampley, who is who's is a vault legacy, who's a four-star. Um, and I believe... Three of those four guys are 300 pounds plus, mm-hmm. so you got some big guys, and they're still after at least one more in Darnell Wright um, that they'd like to get. And then we mentioned on the defensive line they've got several 300-pounders that they're bringing in, so it's good good to see that in this in this recruiting class.
0: Big boy football. That is that is what Jeremy Pruitt likes, and that is what Tennessee's trying to build right now. Um, so overall, one last thing to wrap it up here, Pat. The direction of this Tennessee football program. If you could summarize where – where do you think this Tennessee football program is heading? Do you like the direction that things are going right now?
1: Yeah, I think they're. I think they're trending upwards. Um, I think they're. You know, Jeremy Pruitt certainly had a lot of work to do coming in. He still has a lot more work to do. Um, I think they're on the right track. They at least, you know, showed some improvement. Now I know it's not a great benchmark. Twenty seventeen being you could call it the worst season in Tennessee football history. Um, But they did improve from there. Um, You you saw some promise. You saw, even though everyone didn't buy in, you saw some guys buying in and really believing in this coaching staff and and what they're doing. And they're doing well on the recruiting trail now. Um, I think Jeremy Pruitt seems to know what he's doing, seems to have a plan, a philosophy that he believes in. So that's a good place to start. And I think it's trending upwards, and we'll just have to sit back and, and wait and see where they go from here.
0: I would I would describe it as cautiously I am cautiously optimistic about the uh, path that Tennessee football is heading down. Like I said, I would have liked to see kind of that culture being built a little bit stronger towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does take time. A culture change does take time. Um, I, I cannot emphasize though how important I think this offensive coordinator hire will be for Jeremy Pruitt moving forward. Like this is this is huge because you assume. Best case scenario, obviously, this guy's fantastic, and he he's the offensive coordinator for one year and gets hired as a head coach somewhere. Like I think Tennessee would like that, especially if he's good enough to earn that. But you assume that this guy is going to be sticking with them for a couple years at least. But in, let's say he's there for two years at the very least, and you're looking at year three of Jeremy Pruitt's time at Tennessee. You're going into year four, and that's that's, crunch people, time. that's yeah, some people uh, are going to want to see results. So. Uh, I think this this hire will be huge. If it's a good hire, um, I think that will go a long way into uh, turning my thoughts for this Tennessee football program from cautiously optimistic to feeling pretty good. So we'll see where things go from there. Um, the next big date, keep an eye on December 19th. Uh, that is the beginning of the early signing period. So we'll see what happens next for Tennessee football. All right, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, we will talk to you all later. Bye.